Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Games We Love podcast. I'm your host, Aaron White, and you are listening to the show that promotes positive gaming discussion, featuring interviews and conversations with passionate gamers, including journalists, developers, podcasters, streamers, critics, and other diehard video game fans about a personal favorite game that they love. In this episode, I'm joined by Khalif Adams, creator and host and captain of Spawn On Me, the definitive video game podcast featuring and spotlighting gamers of color. Welcome to the show, man. Man, thank you so much for having me. I am very, very excited to rock with you. I know when you you hit me up to be on the show and I heard the concept for the show, I was like, ooh, this is going to be a lot of fun. So I'm excited to, to rock with you today. Awesome. I'm, I'm excited to have you. Um, I've always been a big fan, uh, ever since I discovered you. So it's kind of a, one of those moments for me. I'll try not to fangirl too much here, but let's just jump in. I, I want to get to know you first. And so I always start these conversations with the same question, which is essentially boiled down to how did you start gaming? When did that occur for you? What was that like? What consoles? What sucked you into this incredible hobby that we all share? Ooh, man. I, I have been gaming since the age of three. Uh, Whoa. I'll be 40, 41. <laughs> I'll be 41 this mo- oh, next month in August. Um, so I've been gaming for a very long time. I think my gateway drug into video games was the Atari 2600. Uh, so really old school. Uh, my, my running joke is that the, uh, I'm so old, uh, that my first video game console had wood paneling on it. Um, which is absolutely actually true. It is. Yeah, that's my first as well. <laughs> yeah, so like, you know, that was the first thing that, that kind of like got me into the space. And that was because of my grandma. My grandma, uh, was the person who bought me my first console. Um, I grew up in the Bronx in New York, uh, in the eighties and it was not a super, uh, a safe space to be in during that point of, of New York history. Uh, so that was a way for, for her to keep me off the streets. You know, yeah. when I was when I was pretty young and keep me in the house and make sure I was safe. Um, so, yeah, I've been playing forever at this point. Like uh, I say, my carpal tunnel tells me so uh, <laughs> because I've been playing for so long at this point. Nice. And did that just kind of segue into you ending up with an NES at that point and then just kind of getting addicted from there? Yeah, yeah. It was like the 2600 and then it went into. See, I had some stuff that was like kind of weird. Weird consoles that a lot of folks don't remember. So I had a 2600 that rolled into a Vectrex. Okay. That rolled into a Bally Astrocade. Never heard of that. That <laughs> no. rolled, yeah, see, exactly. Then that rolled into, of course, NES, SNES, and down the line. I didn't have, the ones I didn't have that I was really sad that I wasn't able to get was I never had a TurboGrafx-16. And I never had a Neo Geo. Okay. Um, but I did have most of the other ones that kind of went in that lineage of, of game consoles for sure. Have you had a favorite console? Not that one is better than the other. This has been a big thing online. So I just want to make sure that I'm going to disclaimer yeah. right up front. Like not, you don't have to like pick one to say it's better, but like, have you been, you know, primarily all of Sony's consoles, all of Nintendo's consoles, or have you just kind of gamed everywhere you possibly could? I've been lucky to have been able to have gamed kind of everywhere I could. I do think, I do think that when I think back about like the beginnings of my gaming life, ones that I had the most fun with because it was super weird now looking back was like something like the Vectrex and Bally Astrocade. So the Vectrex was like a small CRT TV that, uh, was probably not, it wasn't, it wasn't square, it was rectangular, which was weird. I had a four-button controller that stuck directly into the console, and I had cartridges. 
But the thing that made it cool was that it was all these kind of vector sprites on a screen. Uh, and every time you wanted to change a game, you change the cartridge, but you would also change these plastic overlays oh, that went on the screen. Okay. That So, like, instead of you having a, you know, a tic-tac-toe board for your tic-tac-toe game, and you're like, all right, I want to play checkers now, you would take the screen off, take the overlay off, put in the other one, and then throw the cartridge in, and that would be the grid for your board. Wow. Um, it was so, super weird. It was a super weird console. It's so dope, though. Yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. I, it makes me wonder why they wouldn't be able to program the grid lines if they could program yeah. the markers, essentially. Because that's what you're saying. They would program the actual checkers, right? Is that yeah, what, it would, and you would... well, you'd, you'd program, like, the board okay. instead of drawing the lines out. Uh, or it was a way for them to introduce color into the game because those overlays would sometimes have color in them. Oh, that's true. Um, so, like, if they wanted to represent space, they'd have, like, a kind of darkish, bluish, you know, kind of gradient on the plastic. It was cool. Oh, that's and then the Ash Arcade was even better because it had the weirdest cartridges. The carts all looked like, uh, you know, 80s, 70s, and 80s cassette tapes. But they were cartridges. They didn't have actually, like, a rolling tape within it. Um, and these, it was super nuts because it had, like, two triggers that had analog sticks on the top of them. It's super weird. It was such a bugged out machine. Um, but it was cool. They had like one of my favorite games of all time called Artillery Duel, which had, uh, it would draw a landscape every time. Um, and then two soldiers from opposite sides of the ends of the map would have turrets and they would try to shoot each other's turrets out. Oh, yeah. And you'd have to arc your shot to get to the other turret. I grew grew up on a DOS game very similar to that. It was like monkeys throwing bananas. Yeah, Exploding bananas. I don't even know what it's called, but man, I love that game. (laughs) Sounds like a lot. Like, That's really cool. Well, let's learn a little bit about how you game now. So obviously you are hosting a podcast. You talk about games that are new um, Mm -hmm. each and every week or each and every month at the very least. But like thinking back over the last several decades, like what are your gaming habits? What are your favorite genres, your favorite consoles, et cetera? Ooh, um, I mean, over the past decade, it's varied so much because we've seen so many cool things happen in terms of technology, right? Like I remember, like even thinking back to the 360 days, which I won't go super far back into Genesis and, and Nintendo stuff. Cause I think in the Genesis and Nintendo, those are my grow up grow up games those are the ones that kind of like made me understand that games were fun in a way that i didn't understand before like it was fun when you played your atari but that was like to keep you your brain occupied less than you understanding that like oh there are mechanics to this or oh there are ways that i need to figure out how to how to work this particular game to make this thing happen um in that era though i will say i was a huge gyromite fan uh, I always thought that that was a cool, a cool piece of tech that never made it. That was awesome and pretty and pretty dope. I think um, uh, my oh god, I've played so many hours of pro wrestling on on the NES. Okay, I love that game. Do you still watch wrestling? Are you a big wrestling fan? Not as much anymore. I've okay. lost my I've lost my love for wrestling. It's not, actually, I haven't lost my love for wrestling. I've lost my love for the way that wrestling kind of gets shared now. It's not as fun as it used to be because if you miss the zeitgeist, then it's just kind of out of it. We're the same age, so I'm assuming, yeah, the, that late 90s kind of yeah. era was big. Oh, so good. The, the Attitude Era and the NWO Era mm-hmm. and the WCW versus NWO and then the ECW Era was so good. Anyway, uh, I could just talk about ECW all day. <laughs> ECW was the joint. Um, 
But yeah, it was like, you know, played a whole bunch of that. And then I remember when I first got my Genesis and played Altered Beast for the first time. And that just blew my mind. Uh, but I'm also a kid of the arcades, too. So it's like, you know, arcade life was a huge part of my growing up in that way. It's like you had the arcades and then you had the bodegas, you know, so like the bodegas is where you would have in a pizza shop. So like you would go and play the really weird bootleg version of Street Fighter 2, right? That you can pile drive Zangief through the sky like 17 times before you hit the ground kind of stuff. You had these really dope bootlegs back in the day. But that definitely informed me about, you know, not only games that I wanted to play and, you know, the game that we're going to talk about a little bit later, but it also talks about the interaction that we used to have as humans in, you know, personal and intimate spaces, too. Um, you lose a lot of that with the console generation, uh, especially when it went online. Um, so, yeah, like, God, so many games over so many years. Like, I, if I were to try to think about how many games I've played in this life already, it's got to be thousands upon thousands of games at this point. Oh, I'm um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just stuff, even like small offshoot stuff. Like, you know, I'm a big sports gamer. I love sports games. I think about that all the time. Uh, you know, my 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 lifestyle has changed a lot because I got married and because I became an adult and had a job and all that <laughs> stuff. But the but the things that I still remember as being touchstones and they and they kind of still continue now is like i still have a go-to-bed game right okay it varies from from time to time depending upon what it may be but i still have a thing that i use to that is emotionally tied to uh how i'm feeling so if i'm feeling sad um i usually play fighting games if i need something to de-stress i will usually pick up a game that is actually really stressful interesting so it like transfers that stress away from what you're feeling onto the video game, maybe. Kind of. And it's like, you know, when you feel helpless, sometimes being able to accomplish a thing that you sometimes mm -hmm. have to brute force is powerful. So yeah. you feel like you can you know, bridge that gap in that space uh, to do that for a while was MOBAs. OK. Uh, and that was Paragon when Paragon was a thing. Cause I love that game to death. Sad that I think it's gone. Rip Paragon. Um. But also, like now, it is now Mortal Kombat, or it will be Spelunky. was a was a game I used to go to bed with all the time. That's stress. Uh, That's stress. Yeah, or like <laughs> Dead Cells, like Dead Cells, Ooh, yeah. like games like those, like because it's like you have a finite moment where you're just like, all right, I lost, I'm done. You know, yeah. like I lost because I didn't do whatever, and then you know, either get a good another good run in, or you just like kill it for the night. Not like uh, an open world game where there's never an never endless amount of things you can do uh, yeah those stress me out now weirdly mm -hmm. they like, do me too the completionist parts of all that like totally stress me out now um and i don't know i don't know what to do with that at this point in my life i'm looking for tighter not shorter experiences but tighter experiences mm -hmm. yeah. um and that's been big ongoing struggle well i want to talk about spawn on me before we move on and get yeah. into like actual games so this is a podcast that you created six years ago with the intention of spotlighting people of color in the games industry. I'll say I found you um, initially through some kind of funny guest appearances, which were awesome, and then ended up getting a chance to watch your roundtable that you did in the beginning of the summer of 2020, in case people are listening to this years down the line, um, when Black Lives Matter's protests became a really big thing. And it was called A Lesson in Blackness. And this episode was just really powerful for me, and it, it kind of showed me a, a lot about what you are are about. Um, mm. 
Got introduced to some awesome other creators through this, which were uh, Zombie Kills, Pikachulita, been able to watch their content, been able to interact with them on Twitter. Um, Cameron Hawkins, the cinephile guy, was part of that Love panel. Uh, it got him scheduled. He's coming on my, my movie podcast nice. later this summer, yeah, to review one of his favorite films. So I'm excited about that. And uh, and Blessing at AEO Jr. was the other one uh, from Kind of Funny, who's also been on this podcast uh, talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah. Um, so all great, great people. And that's how I kind of was introduced to you. So it wasn't even about video games, which was really fascinating. Um, it was about everything else that was going on in the world, more so yeah. than that. But what led you to this idea of Spawn on Me? And, and also kind of like, what does that mean to you to highlight diverse voices in this specific industry? I mean, I, I think when I think back at like the origin story of why this was a thing, it even goes back further than the podcast. I've been in the industry for around 10 years now um, through various versions of stuff. I think the, the first thing I did was an actual blog called the Spawn Point blog uh, way back in the day. Um, and that I like really started that because of my IT job. I was working IT uh, back in New York at a, at a at a union, and I just wasn't using my brain. Like, you know, when you get into IT work and you get into any technological field, you want to be using your brain. You want to be playing around with cool tech all the time. And when you work at a municipal union back in New York, that doesn't happen often sometimes. <laughs> so I was sitting at my desk, and I was like, I don't feel smart. Uh, I want to use my brain, and I love video games. How can I mash all those things together? And I started the blog. And then, you know, that got me some love in some spaces. Uh, we had started to do some work, uh, around a game that I really loved called Sound Shapes, uh, that came out some years ago. Um, and then Sony saw that we were doing cool work and they partnered with us really early, uh, cause we were doing interviews with folks in the community and they pulled us up and said, Hey, you want to, you want to basically have your stories or your interviews on the PlayStation blog? Um, yes. and I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, seeing as how like literally five people read my work, um, you know, I would definitely like that signal boost. And then, you know, it, it kind of changed over the years where it was like, you know, there's always this fundamental and foundational want to see folks like me in the space. Cause I'd really not seen a lot. I'd seen maybe two dudes on anything that were black in video game coverage. And that was Engai Kroll. And then Will O'Neill, you know, those two folks. One was working at G4 at the time. The other one was, you'd mostly see them on, on game trailers with Jeff Keighley. And I was like, there's got to be folks in this space that, you know, are from my background doing this work. There has to be people making games. Why can't we find those people? Why don't we know about them? Let's figure out that conversation. And that's where the foundation of Spawnomy came from. You know, it's kind of reflecting back to my 10, 12-year-old self. And wanting to make video games and, and feeling like I couldn't or feeling like I didn't know how or didn't have, didn't have any folks who I could look to to say like, Oh, that person's doing it. I learned later on in my life that, Oh, Jerry Lawson was there who, you know, foundation. So like we wouldn't have video games in the ways that we have them now without Jerry Lawson who helped to create the cartridge. Right. Um, so that want to be represented and see that representation and, and wonder about where the rest of us were, uh, is kind of the foundation of where Swanami came from, for sure. 
That's awesome. Have you seen growth in this area in like the six years that you've been doing this? Does it feel like we're making progress? Like, are we as an industry in video games in general, are, are people that follow the industry becoming more aware of the people of color that are involved in making games and commenting on games and, and all of the different aspects of the whole industry? I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I, I will pat myself and, and another podcast on the back for kind of like really, I, I feel like really bringing that conversation to the forefront, our show. And then, um, not your mama's gamer, uh, shout out to Safista of our Nat under the field. Cause we started around the, our shows were always kind of starting around the same time. I think she may even predate us by a couple of months, but it was that same conversation of like, where are we? in this space um and and now that i look at it you know some almost seven years later after the show started um yeah there's like so many shows now and so many avenues and so many different folks that they may not be big but they're there you know what i mean like they're doing they're making content and the beauty of it is like they're they're making content that doesn't necessarily have to deal with or talk about the the racial discrepancies in in the space they're just making the things they want to make and talk about it through their prism and through their voices and through the their experiences which i think at the end of the day is what we hopefully will get to where you know we 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 add in the flavors that we have through our experiences but it's not the thing that is the main thrust of our content oh man Uh, i feel that so hard we experience that in the film community that i'm a part of as well too as a film mm -hmm. critic where people will often go to black critics and want to have them on to cover a black movie right it's like you know you're not here just to talk about black movies right, <laughs> and, right. and provide that perspective um you want to talk about all movies or all video games and so i appreciate yeah. that yeah uh, where did the name come from i gotta i gotta ask is it is it spawn the comic book character related or is it spawn the video game term related or is it something neither of the two it is it is video game related i am okay. a huge battlefield fan um, and in the battlefield games, whenever you move forward in your position, um, and you want other people to spawn on you, it literally says spawn on me. You know, I'm, for, I'm further up. It's a thing we would scream all the time. Um, and, and when I think about it, it's like, you know, you're spawning on us for good conversations, for, you know, enlightenment, for other perspectives. Um, so we, we, we literally are a spawn point for you to, to learn more about different different aspects of the gaming community and different aspects and, and prism so awesome. yeah that's that's where the name came from i like how it works both ways that's yeah good stuff. yeah 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 now you don't just do an audio podcast at this time you have kind of evolved and so you do live recordings mm-hmm. which we talked about before we started this <laughs> the challenges that come with that uh you do these on twitch you have a youtube channel now that is stock full of content is your ghost Episode up, by the way. I, I literally <laughs> just hit publish on it. Right okay. Now. I've been waiting on your Ghost of Tsushima video. So you do some video reviews there as well. Yeah. How have these two platforms, how are you using them to kind of grow and engage your community? Ooh, um, it was interesting because for a long time, I would say, um, our show has done well in terms of visibility from a diversity standpoint, right? I think when you think of the diversity conversation within the video game space, hopefully we are one of the folks that you think of in terms of that conversation. It doesn't necessarily translate into good numbers for your show. Um, it doesn't really translate into lots of people wanting to listen to your show. So that alongside me being a little bit older, uh, plus 
understanding that we are in a very saturated market in terms of podcasting alone and a video game podcast even more so. You have to give yourself every kind of ability and chance to get seen and, and try to figure out good ways to do that stuff. And it was interesting because Twitch reached out to us a couple of years ago. We've been partnered on Twitch for maybe two years or so, um, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and they reached out during a very pivotal point where podcasting, they were trying to grab more podcasts to be on their platform. And they said, hey, you know, we want to bring you on and figure out good ways to, to uplift you and do all that work. Um, and I was like, this is great because one, I don't understand the YouTube game. We're really late into the YouTube game, to be honest. We're like way late. Um, but Twitch was going to be a way that in my mind, I've always envisioned spawn on me and the stuff that I want to do to be visual anyway. Like I have a background in college radio. So like I was a college radio DJ for a long period of time. And music is fantastic because it bridges so many different gaps. The visuals are the thing that people remember that will last forever in, in a very specific and different way. Um, and I think it gives you the ability not only to connect with your audience in a different way, but gives them the ability to see you and see how you speak and, and see how you emote when you're excited or not excited about a thing. And Twitch gave us a really good opportunity to do that in a platform that was infinitely growing um, and didn't really have any podcast talent on on the platform yet. Um, so, yeah, we jumped in and it's kind of been interesting because now I think of the show more in a visual format than I've ever done in a, in a, in audio format. Like audio is, you can nail some things in audio, but you can really bring home a point in video. Um, and I'm still learning. Like the, the production on the show is not where I want it to be yet. It still has a couple of things I'm trying to figure out, but I think that plus learning what the translation of that looks like from both not a, from, from both a live standpoint and then a VOD YouTube standpoint. It's been huge and it's given me a lot of lot of space to play, which I think has been fun too. Um so you you'll see our, our, our videos don't really have a pattern yet. There isn't a <laughs> framework yet. Uh because I'm still experimenting. I'm still kind of playing around with what things might work and and, and it really depends on the day. Um the, the initial and early versions of the video, I'm sorry, of the audio parts of our show were more based around music than anything else, to be honest. Like we had a we had a music break every show. Okay. Um, in our early, like our first 50 to 60 episodes, you know, please don't, please don't find me, uh, uh, internet people who <laughs> sue you for music. Um, but in our early episodes, like that was the crux. That was the, the thing that like broadened the conversation. So we had that music break and that music that we'd put in every episode was a reflection of the feelings that you were supposed to have or the feelings that I was having towards the topics that we had during that day. Nice. So. So, and I wish that I could be able to get back to that because that's what I really want the show to be. Like in the purest form, what's one of me is, is a video music commentary is a mashup of hip hop culture and conversations around blackness and games that all revolve around itself and all bounce off each other. Um, and, and once, once we can figure out how to license music in a way or I get enough money that I can buy it, <laughs> <laughs> I can buy it and, and then, you know, play whatever I want. Then we'll have a we'll have a different version of what Spawn on Me is, and, and to a certain extent, we had a a year and a half stint on uh, terrestrial radio here in Portland, uh, where Spawn on Me was on the radio, um, and it was fantastic because we had the opportunity to kind of use music in that way again, mm -hmm. and, and I and I so miss it because uh, we wound up wound up leaving it because it also kind of truncated the show, 
in a way because you have to run a spot. You have to run in a very determined amount of time. Yeah. So like if you are like fifty nine and a half minutes, you just show was like screwed. Yeah, you can't uh, go over. Yeah. Yeah, you can't go over. So yeah, it's been a really interesting transition to be honest. It's been fun. Uh, and I'm in a pain in the ass, but it's been fun. <laughs> hey, that's all. That's good. Well, yeah. any favorite moments or episodes you want to point to, success stories you have had that that stick out to you, like the big things that you're like, man, this is one of my favorite things about Spawn on Me that's happened to us. Ooh, man. I mean, I, I've met so many of my idols already in the past six years. Like, I think back, like, sometimes I just, like, I go through my phone and, like, see old pictures of stuff that's happened over the years. And I'm like, I can't believe that happened. Like, you know, I, I think about, I got a chance to meet Robin Hunnicky, who uh, is, I'm a huge fan of. He's like brilliant. Um, this is going to sound name, name droppy, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, I got a chance to hang out with Tim Schaefer and interview him. Like, uh, you know, we had a booth on the floor of E3. Like, it's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's huge. Like that stuff for a small, like, and, and this is the thing that I, I try to tell people all the time is like, there's a perception that if you're seen a lot, that you're really successful. And I don't want people to, to, to get it twisted to think that like spawn on me is like killing it all the time in every direction. We are not killing it all the time in every direction. It is still, it has gone from duct tape to at least glue. You know what I mean? Like, and, and some of that work is because, you know, it's a one person, you know, outfit at this point know running all the stuff and trying to make it make it happen with a full-time job with trying to be a decent husband with all the other stuff that goes along with that like there isn't enough time in a day for me to like kill this thing in a way that like funhouse does it or you know kind of even kind of funny does it you know what i mean like um but i do think that when i think back on all the things that we've been able to do that have actually transcended what I even fathomed us being able to do as a person who started this thing with a friend at our living at our living room or kitchen room tables across, you know, from New York to Chicago, to Chicago, you know, like we have changed the conversation when it comes to the video game space around blackness and at least in the conversations around diversity. I think we've we've done that. I think that that a lesson in blackness episode, which is, you know, a couple of weeks, you know, prior to us having this conversation fundamentally change the conversation for at least a month. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think we would have seen video game companies putting Black Lives Matter in their games if it wasn't for that episode. Like, I don't think we would have seen companies come out and say that thing full, full throated in the ways they did if we didn't have that episode in the world. So to me, you know, you know, if the show shuts down tomorrow, I feel like that's the thing that will stick with us. And, and it was a thing that I got to share with, with, you know, five amazing human beings during that time. And the, the two dope cats who, you know, helped me grow this over the years, you know, Sharif Jackson and, and, uh, Cicero Holmes. Like, you know, the show wouldn't be here without them. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have gotten to the space it's gotten to without their con uh, contributions to the show. Um, and, and helping me knock down a door and helping me do some of that work and all that stuff. So. There are lots of moments uh, over the past seven years, almost six, almost seven years uh, that I think back of fondly. Uh, and I'm really grateful for everybody who's listened over the years and anybody who's picked up a who's clicked a button to make it happen. Um, you know, massive love to all, all of you for helping me, you know, live out a dream uh, in, in lots of different ways. That's awesome. Well, last question, then that's about the past. What about the future? Do you have 
any future goals or like what's next on the spun on me checklist? What do you, what do you, where you want to go with the podcast and the brand? I want Oprah to come on the show. Okay. Oh, we well, are dreaming. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I, I mean, that's the thing. And I, and I say this often and I, and, um, it's a thing that I, that I don't think a lot of people really understand. And I said this on Twitter the other day and people kind of, there was a lot of good energy around this tweet, but I, but I do think that people often think I'm a, I'm a lunatic is that you have to say what you want out loud. And I learned that really early uh, because over the, over the years it's worked. And I think to a certain extent, like I am a, I am a college dropout who is the son of two juggernaut parents who shouldn't be here. So I think about all the stuff that goes along with that, you know, foundational fundamental part of my being and I'm lucky every day that I get to do cool stuff like this. And I'm lucky that I get a chance to represent a section of the gaming population in a way through the work that, that I do. But it's never lost upon me that like all of this stuff is like dust in the wind. It's all going to go away at some point. Like all the things that we do in terms of making content are going to shift. You're going to be hot and then you're going to be not. <laughs> it's going to be all those things in that space. So I try to look at all of this in terms of looking towards the future in a way that is trying to use all the good energy that I have and all the good um, uh, merits that have, that have come my way to build on a foundation that helps other people. Like at the end of the day, I want to be able to say I'm helping other people make the content that they want to make at some point. I'm hoping to build a space where other folks can use their voices in a way that feels good. Um, so that's hopefully where we're going to wind up being. It's going to take a lot of effort, time, money, and, and, and all those other things to get that thing done. Um, but I want to continue to make it so that another person who comes up behind our show is like, oh, I saw a colleague do it. I can do it too. And if that's all that comes out of the whole thing, then I then that's a win. Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. I love it. And I, I love what you just said. It's a big thing for people to hear is you got to speak it into the world. You got to mm. say it out loud and yeah. it can happen, right? Yep. Well, let's get into some games, some specific yeah. games and talk about them. And I want to start, I always have this section here just because I like to keep it positive. And so I want to talk about something that you've played in the last six months or so. It doesn't have to be new could be an mm. old game that you've revisited or gotten to for the first time, but what has been a positive experience with a game that you've had recently? Ooh. Um, hmm. I have started, you know what? Weirdly, let me think about that because that's actually really good. One of the games that I go back to often is I go back to Run and Gun. So Run and Gun is this basketball game that, that was from Konami. It was originally in the arcades. The best version of it was a side-by-side -side console where you played against your opponent right next to you. And I have I have an emulator that I play it often. And it reminds me just so much of the arcade era. And it just reminds me of just how pure that mo that time was. And it was so good. Because the graphics looked like garbage. It wasn't really pretty. Um, but it was like this era of just like simplicity and that simple nature of that game 
brought it back down to like me remembering what it was like. And I remember like the smells of the arcade. I remember because it was like an arcade that was like half arcade, half pool hall. Okay. So like you had to walk Smoky. through the pool hall. Yeah, you had to walk <laughs> through the pool hall to get to the arcade part. Um, and just reminds me of like all those times growing up and like being able to play stuff like that, um, in a real way. And I, yeah, I played a little bit of that actually uh, a couple of days ago and it was just so much fun to dig back into that game and like play that stuff. So, and where did yeah. you play that one? Uh, I have an emulator. I run an emulator okay. on my, on my machine. Uh, nice. so it was like a meme, meme ROM, uh, which yeah. was just super cool. So. Yeah, it's a great way to get to an old library of games that are otherwise impossible to find. I have a Raspberry Pi that I use for the same purposes. Nice. Um, took some of that stuff up. Well, cool. That's a, that's a great one. I love hearing about the obscure things. Kind of like when I asked you what you want to talk about for the main topic, um, I ended up kind of leaning towards the newer game in this case. Sure. But you also mentioned some great rhythm based music games which makes sense now that i've heard more of your story <laughs> mm-hmm. like 4am was one of those i believe you said um i'm still i i knew nothing about those games i didn't know those existed until you told me to be honest yeah. so i'm hoping one day they get re-released on a digital you know download for psn or something where i can check them out ooh 4am is such a good game like people don't understand how fantastic that game was when it comes to not only the innovation that went along with it so two games made it it was kind of in the Pixel Junk library. Uh, so if you remember like Pixel Junk Eden and uh, all those kinds of games. It was kind of in that vein of that, you know, series of Pixel Junk stuff. And it was so brilliant. So like right now there is this interesting space in the games uh, industry or within the gaming culture that is around music creation. And, and music creation has been a huge part of not only my life, but in the part of... Um, lots of gamers lives that they might not even know right so it's like i'll i'll, I'll jump to 4am real really quickly but i think that there was one other thing i remember that was actually really important in that conversation it made me understand that the boundaries between video game music and real music in a weird way just there aren't any um so back in new york uh i was when i was doing my stuff in the uh the college radio station there were a bunch of folks who would do beat battles. So they would have this device called an NPC 2000, like 16 pads on a, on a machine. And they'd make beats the same ways that, you know, pe- people produce music now, especially hip hop music. There was a game called MTV Music Generator that happened on the, M- on the PS2. Um, and it was literally amplitude, but you actually made tracks in it. Right. So you made the music as opposed to the licensed music that came into it. They had samples and stuff in there, but you would also be able to use um, the I forgot how you got music into it, how you got sounds into it. But people were sampling music on that on that device, and using it as a sampler and then taking the PS2 and like a 13 inch monitor to a club to make beats in front of people live. Wow. <laughs> and, and like was doing that as a part of like a friend of mine was doing that for years because he couldn't afford an MPC 2000 and MPC, MPC 2000 at the, at the time was really expensive, but he had a PS2. Wow. So he was using that to make beats and winning battles on a 13 inch screen with That's that thing. Freaking something. Fast forward to 4am, which was also in the music creation vein, but it was also in the beginning phases of the PS move being a thing. And PS Move was the main way that you kind of operated this game. So you didn't see any of the audience, but they had a visualizer on screen. 
the visualizer on screen would move really rapidly if people, one, were starting to watch your show because you were broadcasting at that point. Not to Twitch, but to some weird server somewhere that other people who played the game could view and you would be performing. So if you think about the corners of your monitor or your screen as being sound quadrants, so you'd have like drums in the upper left, you'd have like hi-hats in the upper right, on the lower left you'd have synths, you'd have, you know, another instrument in the lower right. And then through the spatial movement of you moving your hand in coordination with the buttons on the move controller, you would perform songs. You would loop them. You would change them in and out from, uh, you might add reverb or echo, or you would do like high pass filters, low pass filters, all with your arms while you're just gesticulating at the screen. And it was brilliant and no one bought it and no one played it. <laughs> and I was so sad because it was literally like an extension of what we see now in a game like Dreams, right? That was like the foundation for a thing like that, or at least the versions of music, music creation and a thing like that. And I was like, this technology is brilliant. Like, this is a way for people who have never been able to perform to be able to do so anonymously. So you, re so you remove some of the layers of the grossness because we didn't have like, you know, a couple people had their PS cams at that, at that point and they were all playing Uno or whatever on, on the Xbox <laughs> and being, being terrible. Oh my God, memories. Oh, right. Like, oh, your, Uno your, your and Texas Hold'em. Texas yeah. Hold'em, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, but most people weren't really using their cams or they, they didn't have music move controllers yet. So like those combinations of things for that one game was so brilliant and it never caught on. And I'm just like, I want to like I, I bought a PS3 the other like six months ago because um, it was some games that are like in my PSN, my online download list. I was just like, I want to play this again and see if I can do it. And I need to go uh, boot it up to see if 4AM even works at this point. Uh, Fingers crossed. That Fingers be crossed. Cool. That means I have to find my camera too. I don't know where the heck that is, but yeah. Oh boy, yeah. Oh, you know, changes in tech generations always a challenge. Uh, well, that's cool. Uh, well, I, real briefly, I'll just mention the game that I've been playing recently, or I have played in the last few weeks at least that I've had a lot of fun with um, was Microsoft. I almost said it, so I keep calling it Microsoft Dungeons. Okay, and my <laughs> and my kids just are roasting me constantly. I have two teenagers, and every time I say it, they give me a bunch of crap for it. But, I mean, it's on Microsoft. You know, It's basically Microsoft Dungeons at this point. But Minecraft Dungeons. Um, I'm a huge Diablo fan, so Diablo 3 is one of my favorite games of all time. And yeah. so I was pretty stoked for this. I don't give two craps about Minecraft in general. It's not my thing. I'm not sure. like that sort of creative guy. But, um, you know, I've seen it plenty of times with my kids playing tons of it. And so I was familiar with the world a little bit. But I got into this game and I've played two different ways. I've had a, an ongoing game where uh, a couple of my buddies, all of us in our late 30s, early 40s, will get on and game weekly. And so I've got one game with those two guys mm. <laughs> where we're drinking and playing Minecraft Dungeons. And it is a very different vibe than when mm. I'm playing with my two kids. <laughs> And it's fascinating to me because I've had so much fun both ways. Um, this is a really good game. It's short, it's fun, and it truly is baby's first Diablo. I've heard that thrown out there. I don't like to use the same phrases all the time, but that's really what it is. Mm -hmm. It's a great introduction to this hack-and-slash, loot-based, top-down dungeon crawler. Um, 
I love it. And I, and I thought it was a really cool way in which they've utilized some of the systems in this game. And particularly, one of them allows you to, any weapon you pick up, you can use, which is yeah. really cool. You yep. know, uh, most video games with RPGs, you end up getting stuck where you've got a warrior so you can use an axe or a hammer or a sword, and that's it. But in this game, you pick up a bow, you can use the bow. You pick yeah. up, you know, a, a spear, you can use the spear. And that changes the kind of attack patterns that you have available to you. So I really enjoyed that. I enjoy the upgrade system that they have in place. Uh, every item has anywhere from one to three mini trees of upgrades. So each each little diamond that they have will give you one out of four choices. Mm-hmm. And you can upgrade that three times. And so, but, but what it does is it kind of limits your choice down to a, a way that I think helps with some of the things that you were talking about earlier. Like when you, we can get paralyzed with the openness of open world games and with options. Yeah. And this helps to condense that. It's like, here you go. You have some choice. You get to kind of decide a little bit, but we're not going to make it too crazy on you. And then with that, what it implemented that I, I, frankly, man, I love this genre. And if games in the future don't have this, I'm going to start being frustrated. But like when you get rid of a piece of equipment in this game, you mm. get your points back. Yes. And you get to re put them in to whatever yep. you just picked up. And it, yep. I, I feel so differently playing that way because I feel like my choices don't hinder me. Like I don't get stuck wondering and like getting online to research for 15 minutes. Should I put my points into this thing at level 10 or not? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter. I can, recycle that piece of gear and then five minutes later I get something better and I can just put those points right into that yep. uh, to make it better. So I really like that about it. Um, I, it's got a really cool aesthetic. It's simple, but yet it has a difficulty spike and it has the same Diablo formula where, you know, you can bump it up and make it more challenging for better gear, mm-hmm. which I love that kind of gameplay loop. It, it does get a, a little hard. I will admit like the end boss for this game Oh my God. There was a spike that just was like, what happened here? <laughs> like, they might need to like tweak that. Cause like I, we actually, it was the first time in the entire game that we actually had to go back and grind a little bit, but it didn't bother me too much. Cause it's fun to grind in this game. Um, I like it, man. I thought it was a ton of fun and you know, it's not the best game or the most polished game ever, but for what it is, it's a really great marriage of exactly oh, what yeah. it says it's going to be, you know? So you got a chance to play it too, I'm taking? Oh, it's fantastic. It's super good. I mean, in that last boss, I hate you. <laughs> it's so Like, why? I was, I was like, <laughs> I can't beat this thing. I'm like, and it's weird because you have this idea because of the light and airy aesthetic that like it's going to be easy in some weird ways. And then this thing like kicks your butt and you're just like, what are you talking about? Why am I not beating you? Uh, I should be able to beat you in, but that's cool because it then makes you have to readjust your tactics, which is, which is really cool. It does make me really want to play it with other people though, because oh, I've, I've only played it solo. I highly recommend it. In fact, if you ever are just Twitch streaming for the fun of it, you yeah. can even do it that way. You can, I've seen people do this. I haven't done it myself, but you can just have people pop into your game and you can play with, with some of your, you know, viewers and, and they can just drop in and out that way. That's kind of sweet. And it, it is a lot of fun. Um, I, I got to it's it's a blast, it, you know, and it does. That's what you just said makes you rethink about your tactics. That was one thing that I found I found to be a, a really refreshing thing for someone like me, because I will find something that works or that I enjoy and I will I will stick with it. So I found myself to be incredibly under leveled because 
I just liked this flow that I had created for my character. Mm. And so I was like ignoring better gear the whole time because I didn't want to give up the abilities that I had. And this game kind of pushes you to try those different things. Cause if you're going to pick up the best gear possible, it's going to change your flow. You may no longer be a ranged character. You may suddenly go from being the ranged guy in your party to now you're a melee guy, but right. that's the best thing you can do to assist the others. Or if you're playing solo, you know, that's the best way you're going to be successful. Um, and I found that pretty cool too so i'm excited to dig into the dlc i haven't got a chance to play it yet oh that's right it's out i forgot all about that yeah I think I yeah saw it came out recently playing that thing yeah so many dadgum good exclusives right now in the summer so once oh. we luckily everything is starting to move out of september recently yes. <laughs> november we're gonna be cursing that but you know for now <laughs> like there's gonna be a gap of time where we can get caught up i need a gap real bad i need I one so bad right now the big one. This is the game that I asked what you would want to talk about um, if you came on the show, and the one that I kind of leaned toward wanting to discuss, and that is Mortal Kombat 11 slash mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat as a series. But we're going to kind of condense it into Mortal Kombat 11 for the most part, just because it's really new and fresh, and it was the one that I had access to go play <laughs> and wanted to get some experience with because I'm not really that familiar with the series. I yes. do want to give a spoiler warning up front. Sometimes I forget about this on episodes, but this game, we are going to spoil the story because we're going to talk about it. We're also going to spoil the DLC story uh, and talk about that, the Aftermath DLC, which is absolutely worth playing. Like mm-hmm. It's critical, in my opinion. It really is. Yeah, you got to play that. So Agreed. we're going to talk about it. So if you haven't played it, just know we're going to go through the story and you're going to ruin some really fun reveals if you listen to this before going through it. So highly recommend going to check the game out, play through the story campaign, and then listen to this. All right, Khalif. So I asked you, you mentioned the rhythm games and you mentioned Mortal Kombat. Why Mortal Kombat? Like, why is this franchise special to you? And specifically, maybe what are some favorite things that make this game stand out in it? Oh, man. Like, I remember the first time I walked into an arcade and heard the attract music from the first Mortal Kombat cabinet and hearing some weird sound out of nowhere with this kind of like Asian inspired music that sounds like a Kung Fu flick because I was raised on Kung Fu movies. Um, and then hearing some random scream from nowhere that's like finish him. That thing has stayed with me for my entire life because it was so, so different at the time. Like, you know, uh, one of the things that I, that I talk about often is my, my love of both video games and horror movies. And weirdly, Mortal Kombat is a perfect mashup of two of those things. And it's just like, of both of those things. And it just like feels like such a great, um, series to dig into. So like, I played literally every version of Mortal Kombat that's ever been out. Um, I remember the first time, you know, people had that argument between Street Fighter and, and Mortal Kombat. And that was the huge thing when I was growing up in the early 90s. It was like, which which huge. tribe are you on? And then you'd always have like one out of ten friends that were like, oh, it's all about Tekken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you had that one virtual fighter or friend, you were just like, yeah, who are you playing yeah. virtual fighter right now? What are you talking about? They were like, Akira's the best. I was like, get out of here. Um, and it, and the, and the, the series just stayed with me. Like everything that it's done over the years has been fantastic. It's just like added so many different layers to gameplay. It's added so many things to the culture. 
you know, you know, outside of video games, it brought about political controversy uh, in the early 90s. You know, like we have ratings now because of Mortal Kombat in some ways, like we have very specific ratings because of Mortal Kombat in the day. Um, you know, like it has all these things that are tied to it. Um, and having grown up with it, it is, it is one of the things that I just hold really dear to my heart. You know, I got a chance to meet Ed Boone a couple years ago. Oh boy. Nice. Man, I've, I am usually not a person who's nervous at this point. I was shook <laughs> when I got a chance to meet Ed Boone. And he's, uh, and ever since he's been extremely nice whenever I get a chance to see him again. But, um, like he's in my pantheon of people who I'm still just like, I want to interview Ed Boone so bad. Um, but Mortal Kombat 11 is, interestingly enough, like, it is one of the better stories in video games that we've seen in a very long time. Like, again, the conversation around, like, tight, cohesive stories, even though this version and this part of the, the lineage of the lore right now that we're in now is digging into the metaverse spaces, uh, and digging into the multiple timeline spaces. Um, because of, you know, the, the character that they've, they've added into Mortal Kombat 11. I, it just feels like NetherRealm just doesn't miss anymore. Like they just, like they've always had a good track record in terms of what they do, but like they are really finding the sweet spot of not only building out a comprehensive fighting game that feels smarter, well balanced. It's, there are some balance issues, but it's well balanced, has some of the best net code on the planet, has, my God, the best tutorial I've seen in a video game in a very long time to, to ramp up new players. And then you still have all these iconic characters that you grew up with. Like, I am a huge Raiden fan because Raiden was the dopest character on the side of an MK2 cabinet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. the Thunder God is being that person. Uh, Scorpion with his get over here. Like, that, that saying that out loud, you can say get over here now in the culture and people will automatically really just tie that to Mortal Kombat. Yep. In, in that way, because it's made that, 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 that stamp on, on history. It is, it is so fantastic. I love that game so much. And, and as a person who loves competition, cause I'm very competitive, getting a chance to play a game that feels so tight and feels so well made and feels like it's cared for, uh, is, is such a pleasure. Like, uh, I give NetherRealm and, and, you know, Midway when they were doing it, you know, so many, so much, so much props back in the day for, for, for making something I love. Oh, it's great to hear. Yeah, I um had not been aware that my kids had not seen the movie. And so we were playing through <laughs> this the last couple of days. And we don't play fighting games. We have played Injustice, both of them together. All three of us have just passed the control around going through the story mode. And so it was really easy for them to do that with this game as well, um, for what you were saying. And it was it was interesting to me, you know, both being Never Realm games, about the way that the Injustice 2 storyline really feels like they're just kind of transplanting that in a sense from the superhero world into the MK world. Um, and, but my kids were doing the music, right? They were doing the theme song. Yeah. The Mortal Kombat. And, and mm. they were complaining because they were like, when is this going to show up in the game? And I was like, well, no, guys, that's not <laughs> from the game. That's from the movie. So right. I ended up getting a chance to show them the movie last night uh, in between beating MK11 and beating Aftermath we watched the movie and they were just, Oh, it was, it did not. It's different when you watch it. I think from their age, cause they've never experienced bad CGI in the way that <laughs> we did. So there, there's a nostalgia. It is cl- truly a nostalgic love for those of us who grew up with it. Um, but anyway, not to get off, to off track, but so first and foremost, fighting games have to feel good. Yeah. They have to be tight. Like you mentioned. So what 
makes Mortal Kombat feel tight to you? Like, and, and how do you feel like it's accessible or is it accessible to people that are not necessarily competitive fighting game fans? Cause there's sometimes in fighting game world, there's been a real problem with that where games are so finely tuned that if you aren't good, that you can't have fun with it. Is this one like that? Do you think? I think that they've done a, well, to the first, first part of your question about like, how, how does tightness kind of, you know, add into, you know, the enjoyment or, or the, the part of the, the gameplay loop. I think there's an expectation in lots of ways between your eyes, your ears, your, your, your hands and your heart in some ways. It's like that combination of like, how does the thing feel when you do something? Everything feels impactful when you do something in Mortal Kombat. Like everything feels like it has weight to it. And I think that, that not even just the kind of gore parts that people really usually kind of hone in on, but like the visceralness of the way that they've done sound design is, is really important. That alongside the way that they've done their input system is a little bit easier than it is for even folks who play like things like Street Fighter, right? So like instead of full quarter circles back and forward to do a, a you know, half quarter circles to do fireball or things like that, which is like the, fundamental thing that most people think about when you think of street fighter most stuff in mortal kombat is kind of dialed in so like you can input a command and it will you have enough of a buffer um that that command will come out in the time frame that you had an idea that it should they uh in terms of netherrealm have put in ways that you can kind of relax or or tighten up even that buffer which is which is important too so like you can input a thing, it'll still come out, and then you can continue to do other moves in your moveset or in your combos that will still come out because you've given it a larger buffer within that space. I, I think, I think that as a fundamental part of the, the way that that game works lends itself to being more accessible to the people who would be newer to a fighting game. I, I talked a little bit about the tutorial system in Mortal Kombat 11, which I think is one of the smartest tutorials that they've made. Plus they've done character tutorials that are very, very specifically directly towards the characters that you want to try out and play. But they literally tell you not only what the move will do and show you and give you replays for it, but they'll give you, if you really want to dig into the nerdy side of it, frame data for all that stuff too. So like, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I don't know what frame data is. And yeah. I saw that and I was like, what? Yeah, so like counting frames is a thing that when you get to really high level gameplay is a thing that people are doing. So every character's moves, depending upon which ones you pull out, will have a certain amount of frames that, that it takes to, to execute that move. So a, uh, and, and nomenclature is very important too when it comes to fighting games. So depending upon how you, how you think of it, it will change based on the, the, the way you play it. So, the controller buttons are usually mapped to numbers. So square, if you're on a PlayStation controller, I play on a PlayStation controller. So think about it from left to, you know, clockwise. So your square or X button is your one, your triangle or your Y is two, circle or A, I think is three. And then, you know, uh, I forgot what's on the bottom of an Xbox controller. Anyway, there's one next to me. I can see it. Anyway. So the, whatever the bottom button is, that's your four button, right? Yeah. Or I think I'm getting it right. I might be, I might be messing it up. Either way, people will use nomenclature to be able to say like, it's like notation, music notation at this point. So it's like, you're like, wow. oh, my down one is three, is three frames. You're like, oh, my down two is about four frames or five frames. 
And you remember that stuff in your head if you played enough, right? And that's the way you talk to other fighters, other people who play. You're like, oh, so what's back one, two? Back one, two is about, about seven frames in between that whole combination. And you're like, oh man, well, my, your back one, two, which is my starter of a string, may not be your forward down three. And you have this weird combination. It's like chess notation, right? So those frames will determine how quickly my move will get out and hopefully hit you. And then the calculation between how many frames that is between mine and your move will determine which ones I pick for the best maneuvers for my character. So, like, I know that the character that I'm playing right now, which is Fujin, who just came out in the latest DLC. It's my son's favorite. He's fantastic. Yeah, Tornado Kick. Cool. Tornado Kick is just, makes people mad all the time. Uh, so, like, his down three, which is a down kick, uh, is terrible because the frames are really long. It takes a, lo- a larger amount of frames to get that move out. His down four is super quick. So when you think about ways you want to tackle a fight, that down four is the one, the moves you want to kind of use more, more often to poke someone. So, and then there's also, you know, terminology within that whole conversation too. So like pokes and staggers and all that stuff. So anyway, all that to say is that for a new player, if you are looking to get into a fighting game, Mortal Kombat 11 is probably the best version of a game you can get into. Because it teaches you not only how to play its game, but it teaches you how to play other fighting games. Because it teaches you the language that fighting game uh, aficionados use. And the reasons why they use what they use during a fight. So, like, two things that you'd want to do. If you ever, well, Evo's not going to happen because of all the stuff that happened with Evo this year. But when you watch fighting game tournaments, you'll hear people talk about this stuff. And this game will give you the language to understand what they're talking about, which is fantastic as a new player. It is. I never knew any of this existed. I, yeah. I had no idea. I it's can't even imagine cool. now trying to to play these games, not even just professionally, but like seriously, competitively, without this data being revealed. Like trying to figure this out on your own and knowing that it is that important mm-hmm. would be incredibly tough. Uh, yeah, it is, but I think that there's there's the layers in which you want to play, right? Like I'm still a a I'm nowhere near a professional. I will get mopped up easily by someone who's a professional. I can hold my own on someone who is fairly decent at the game. Not only because of like the previous gaming knowledge that I've had in the fighting game space, but I think that this game in particular does such a fantastic job of telling you why you should pick what you pick. It doesn't mean you shouldn't pick other stuff. It just means it's situational in a different way. Um, and I think that learning of what is situational and why you do a tactic as opposed to just hitting a button is the thing that most fighting game folks who are really new don't really understand that part. And I think to the, to, to another extent, they've made it really welcoming to some folks by one, having again, the, the ability to turn off the blood parts. So if you don't want to see the blood parts, you don't have to see that. They've done a thing about like, one of the biggest pull-ins for most of Mortal Kombat has always been the fatalities. But sometimes if you're a newer player, you don't, you don't have the ability to get the inputs in as fast as you want. Um, so they have these things called easy fatality tokens. So you basically hit a, like a, you hit a button combination that isn't anything that's like the full string. And mm-hmm. it does, it, if you're in the right range for that well, particular that one, you do a, you do the fatality that goes along with that. So you can still have the fun of doing that move, 
uh, while uh, not having to have the potential skill to do all that stuff. Like, which makes it fun for people. It makes it so much easier. Hundred uh, percent agree because be we have never been able to do them in yeah. other games. We've just never been able to do them, but for some reason now we can. And even the fatality strings, I find are not nearly as complicated as I feel like they may have been in the past. Like maybe it's more forgiving. Like you it said, is. in general, just the timing, it gives you more of a beat to hit the buttons. Yep. Cause my son is like able to like, he's, he's playing with Kung Lao a lot too. Yep. And like, he's got one of his fatalities down pat already. Mm-hmm. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, okay, stop. Uh, but then there's also <laughs> the cool, you know, mercy idea and yeah. the friendships, which are pretty fun to execute so i love the variety there it's definitely just the most packed game it's like there's so much in this so much stuff you got the customization options which Mm -hmm. uh, injustice had as well that i think are so much fun so my daughter she really loved that she was getting torn up in a tower last night and we were like listen we don't think this is the character for you like you we've watched you play and you're so much better with fast characters yeah like a katana but she just loves citrion because of the look and she's like yeah but i like the way this girl looks yeah. <laughs> and i'm like yes but you're getting beat yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. i she's mean he's too slow for you but she loves also, customizing I, I mean yes i love that part too but it, the thing that I, and i get really excited about this part is like i don't even play towers anymore i let the ai play towers for me which is pretty fun. It's boring as heck if you think about it. But this is what I would say for your daughter is that if she has an idea. So basically in the customized part of the game, when you customize your character, you want to put all the cool stuff on them. There's a section towards the end of the menu bar that says your AI, uh, like AI version of your, of your character. Oh, yeah. Based on the way that she wants her character to play, she can tweak the sliders to kind of fine tune that. Is oh know, my it's, goodness! It's, it's granular, but it's like big. It's like big steps, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I want my character. Cetrion is a is a in in terms of like uh, what that character does well is a zoning character. Want to keep everybody out and and get them frustrated by by doing these moves that keep you far away from them, while also having moves that basically take up half the screen. So. She can spec out that character to be and play that way. You hit the button right before you start a tower. And it's like AI on or AI off. You do that. And then you have the augments that you have with your gear that you can then double down and say, oh, this character, when it does a certain move, it'll maybe give me more power towards that thing. And the boring part is watching it play itself out. Absolutely. My wife hates it. She's like, why are you doing this? You're not even playing the game. You're just letting it do its thing. I was like, well, here's the thing is for characters that I don't play well or that I'm learning to play me moving the sliders around the AI will show me the capabilities of what that character can do at the highest level. So it's like her Cetrion that she's learning to play, watching the AI do things will give her the ability to say like, oh, that combos into that thing. Oh, when this person does this thing, I can my character is doing that. That's a counter for that. And then when you go back into play, then you pick that up and you're like, Oh, well, let me go into the menus and see what that was. Oh, let me figure out like how those things connect. And I've learned, I mean, usually when a game comes out or a new character comes out, I run to YouTube because they have what they call their bread and butter combos. So you, uh-huh. and you'll hear people talk about what's your character's B and B. 
Uh, so it's called bread and butter. So those are like your cat, your, your, your combos that you usually will use to get the most damage, uh, that keeps you the most safe in a fight. Um, and I learned most of my BNBs not only through YouTube, but watching the, 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 the characters do that kind of stuff. Um, and that's all because the AI is doing it and showing me the capabilities of what that character can do at a really high level. So that's you take so out cool. the parts that you really like and you're like, Ooh, that one thing, that three part string. I would do that all the time when this happened. Yeah. Um, and it's brilliant. It's super smart. Again, it's like, it teaches you how to play the game while also giving you the stuff that you want, uh, in terms of the cosmetics. So. And it also satisfies so many different types of gamers because I, I, when I'm hearing you talk about this, it's not even what you're specifically missioning it for, but what I personally am hearing is, wow, this is like managing a sports team. Like I could mm-hmm. be strategically crafting my character and then wanting to see if my way that I spec'd that character out can be successful as an AI and beat the tower. Mm-hmm. It's like an entire metagame without even playing the fighting portion of it. And there's a whole do. section for that. There's one that's not even the towers that basically lets you do that in a three round fight. Or I put four fingers. Folks, <laughs> you're not watching us do this video. <laughs> but the, um, in a three round fight, you basically match up, you make a team. And you're, you have a team of defenders, and those defenders go out into the AI world. They go fight. You can watch the fight, so you can speed it up like four times faster, so you don't have to watch the thing run in real time. And then those characters, once you've had those fights, based on the way that they've been set up in their AI specs, will fight each other. And then if you win, you get stuff. Oh, it's so dope. Good. They had they added so many cool layers of stuff that I don't think like half the community even plays around with at the point because they usually just want to play online. Yeah. And I'm like, once you start wanting a gear hunt, those are the ways you get all the coolest stuff. Because you get yeah. that stuff and you go into the crypt, which has also gotten a lot I better crypt, this year. Yeah. And then you also do, you know, the, the towers and all that other stuff. And then, you know, combat league, which is a whole other part of the, the online space. So many good things from NetherRealm. They, they continue to knock it out of the park. Well, I want to talk about the story yeah. because we mentioned that it's got this like parallel universe multiverse type concept going on. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily something that you typically remember in a fighting game. You said that, it, you know, it's one of the best ones in video games in years. And you said video games, you didn't say in fighting video games. And mm-hmm. I, I would completely agree. And I, I just wondered like, what is it that you really resonate with in this story? Cause it's not necessarily something new. I mean, we've right. seen, my kids are like, oh, this is Avengers Infinity War, only backwards, you know, and mm-hmm. like, and they're trying to make those connections because they've seen that recently. But what makes it stand out for you the most? I think the fact that you didn't have an expectation for it, to be honest. I think that's a huge part of that, where it's fighting games are usually really dumb in the way that they tell story and they don't tell lore well. Lore is always a thing that you see in the a track screen or a thing that you see at the end of the big boss battle or any of those other parts. And you have these iconic characters, Sub-Zero, Scorpion, Raiden, Johnny Cage, Liu Kang, iconic characters at this point. And they've built around them an actual lore of why they do what they do. The initial conversation, the original conversation was basically like that, that uh, Bruce Lee movie, uh, back in the day, uh, I forgot, uh, oh, why can't I think of it? Into the Dragon, maybe. Yeah. It's basically the Enter the, the Dragon one. story. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone comes to the island, everyone fights to go fight this one dude at the end. Um, which is the original story to Mortal Kombat, but it is 
this now ever-changing fight for these realms that each of these sections of folks kind of over oversee that then gets fleshed out into these character stories, which I think is the real reason why it's really good, is that they figured out a way to make you care about each one of these characters that they've had in the story in an actual profound way. Like, you know, the fact the, the interplay between Jax and his now daughter that is in, in the story, which is fantastic. You know, in the previous game in Mortal Kombat X, the story around, um, uh, why can't I think of his name right now? There was a gay character in the space who, um, had a, had an almost romance in the story. Um, that character was fantastic. Um, Liu Kang still trying to figure out how to become the, 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 the owner of the realm is a huge story. The interplay between two of the biggest characters in the, sto- in, in the franchise, Sub-Zero and Scorpion and the revenge tale there of how that continues to pull itself out. Raiden becoming evil and, and, and learning that he has too much power. And like all these stories have little undercurrents of, of gems there that they flesh out, they, they introduce and they really nail. Um, and then they do all of it as an ensemble, you know, movie like AKA the Avengers. And it's just so good. This is so well written and so well made. Um, and the way that they, they, they bridge not only just cutscenes to gameplay, it's just so good. They, they, again, but they have figured out ways to make you care about stuff that you shouldn't care about. Yep. And yeah, in, it's in a, in brilliant. A game that you don't care about usually in that way. So yeah, it's so brilliant. I I don't know any of the lore past the Mortal Kombat movie. Yeah, That's yeah. what I knew. But this game filled in basically everything for the most part. Like in introducing characters in the way that they were able to give me the backstories in just one or two liners is really incredible. And like you said, the cinematics are awesome. I'm a movie guy too, and and just watching them. I mean. Gosh, this is the kind of game that you can go on YouTube and just watch the story for. If you're not going to play the game, just go to YouTube and watch the three and a half hour movie because it's worth it. It's entertaining enough to do that. And I'm also a big emotions guy. I mean, my movie podcast is all about feelings and how we feel about movies. And so these emotional pairings like you were talking about with Jax and his daughter, with the whole complication of Cassie and Sonya and then the different versions of themselves interacting and it's both humorous, of course, with Sonya being like, why would I ever get uh-huh. that guy? Uh-huh. But the way that those stories progress, the other thing I thought was really cool about the DLC and how it pushed the story forward was particularly that there comes a point towards the end of the last two chapters where you are playing as the villains. You are playing as the characters that you know are in the wrong and mm. you are having to beat your favorite heroes. Yep. And this was so impactful for me and the kids. The kids were like, I just want to put the controller down. Can I let him <laughs> can I let him just beat me? Like yeah. I don't want to kill Johnny Cage or beat Johnny Cage up as, you know, Shao, Shao Sung or whoever because yep. I'm more attached to Johnny Cage. And so it felt so wrong. Yep. And I thought that that was just really incredible storytelling to be able to make you have that emotion in a game. Mm-hmm. They nailed that stuff. And I think it's, again, it's a testament to the, like Nether Realm saying to themselves that they weren't going to compromise on their vision, which I think is brilliant. And it shows that like you can have good story. The weird thing, the weird thing about Mortal Kombat story and, you know, this game and some other games that I played of, of late that are, that are story based that have really good 
or have narrative elements to them. It's so interesting to see like a game that you would not have, have expected to have that kind of layer to it be better written than some of the games that you have expectations for that are really based in, you know, having having narrative in the, being the forefront. And I'm just like, clap it up for the Realm, because that's like, you got to give them props when props are due. Like, it's not easy to be able to pull stuff like that off. Um, no. And, and, and again, not. in a space where they don't have to put it in. Like, most people, when they play Mortal Kombat or any fighting game, they're just like, just put me online. Just put me into the online space. Let me fight other people, and that's all I need. And they took the time, effort, energy, and resources to like continue to build on the thing, not only with the first part of the game, but with the Aftermath DLC, which yeah. then definitely broadens out the conversation and gives them so much stuff to play with uh, in terms of the future of where this franchise can go. Adding in you know, other characters, adding in characters that you didn't expect, you know, into the game. Like, it's, it's so good. Like, there's just so many ways that they can go now at this point. It is, and the franchise just, I, I love the fact that it is so wide-reaching in different genres. I mean, you have literally a Western gunslinger, you have robotic sci-fi mm-hmm. race of characters, you have your ninjas, and you're essentially your samurais, and you have gods, mm-hmm. and you have elder gods, and you just have, like, every, you, have, you know, military fighters. You have all of these different things represented, so there's something for everyone to connect with. Uh, I mean, and it's just the story is so fun to explore because I was asking myself half the game, like, is Chronica right? Like, should Mm. we be worried? Shouldn't we want the balance? Like, isn't there something to be said about a balance and not have it swing one way or the other? And so I was constantly kind of conflicted a little bit about Hmm. should we even be fighting for what we're fighting for at this point? It's got it's the way it's the same argument that like Thanos is making. You know, in <laughs> yep. the Avengers movies, essentially, and it just it it plays out so well. Um, I really, really enjoyed it, and I love, like you said, it's it's got something for everybody now. It's no longer just a game where you can go online and fight others competitively. Mm-hmm. It can pull people in like me who just want a single player story, and there is way more than enough content to justify a full sixty dollar purchase. You know, oh, yeah. um, and give me dozens of hours of fun in the game. So I like that a lot. Um, favorite characters, you, you mentioned Fujin. Anybody else that you particularly like? Any fatalities that are favorites for you? Interestingly enough, some of the best fatalities aren't fatalities, they're brutalities. First, I haven't figured these out yet. So each one of them is situational. So there are some that are, that are universal. So like if you do a down two, which is your uppercut, that will, you know, pop somebody's head off. That's a, <clears throat> that's the one that everyone has. I am a Raiden main. Um, Raiden has been my character through like every Mortal Kombat game that I've ever played. So I learned him first. And I think some of the best fatalities are stage fatalities too, which they brought in with, with Aftermath. So I love the one that's in the arcade. You can throw an arcade machine on somebody's body, which is fantastic. Oh, interactive environments make these games so much better. So I was so disappointed that they didn't bring the train scene from three back. I was like, no, you could have an opportunity to bring the train one back. They didn't. The pit is back, which is fantastic. Uh, the acid pit. Uh, which is really good. Um, I, I mean, I think in terms of moves that I really love, I think Raiden has the best friendship in the game. His friendship is fantastic. Because he pops out a mini version of himself from MK2, uh, and they do a dance, uh, which is fantastic. Um, I think, uh, what is her name? Shiva has a really good friendship as well. She plays like water bowls with all her hands. Oh my gosh. Which, which is super great. Um, 
I think some of the better actual fatality fatalities are. Let me see. I think, man, like Sub Zero has a really fantastic one. His is really good. He has a couple ones that are really great. I think um, Jax has a really fun one. He pulls your arm off and swings it like a baseball, and they play the baseball music uh, right before you do it and knocks your knocks the skin off your face uh, literally. Uh, I mean, it's it's. Like the, there was a good GDC conversation that happened, or at least was going to happen around the art of making a fatality. And just like, of course, it's gruesome stuff because you have to like think about it in kind of these macabre ways, but it is also brilliant in the ways that you have to be really, uh, you have to have, you have to think outside the box <laughs> to say, you know, yeah. to think of some of these really jacked up ways that people wind up, you know, faux dying in this game. But yeah, there's just so many to, to pick from in that respect. I, I really love the Jacks one where you swing a person's, uh, you swing, you swing their head around like a baseball, basically. Uh, well, he's been one of the few characters I've been like really maining so far. So I'll have to make sure I go try that one out. Cause I'm sure. a big Jacks fan. I just, it, he's, he's simple. I yes. like how simple he <laughs> just punch, punch a lot punch and you get punch. stronger as you go. And yep, yeah, I'm good with that. Also, Terminator has a fantastic, the Terminator has a fantastic, Ooh. uh, friendship. It is it is glorious and RoboCop. RoboCop does a really dope uh, robot dance. It's so it's so good. Anyway. Oh, cute! Yeah, those are those are fun characters to see added as well. Yeah. Where, let me ask you this to kind of wrap up. Where would you like to see the franchise go from here? Do you have any gameplay tweaks that you would prefer to see them do? And like, what would you like to see from the story in the future? And and I'll set that up by saying just for those that either haven't played it recently or if you're listening and you didn't heed the spoiler warning. I'm going to spoil it for you, but there are two choices you can make at the end of the Aftermath DLC. Mm. You can either choose to allow the story to end with Shang Tsung becoming the person who runs the world, essentially, and controls everything and rewrites history, or you can choose Fire God Liu Kang, who then will push forward in the future and kind of reset everything back to like a starting point of Mortal Kombat and instead of Liu Kang, it is going to be Kung Lao, who is like standing in as the champion for Earth, be being brought up to that level. So, mm-hmm. which one did you choose? But like, where did you want to see the world go from here? I chose Shang Tsung's ending because the way that that story progressed in Aftermath, it felt right. It like, you know, there's sometimes when you want to see your alternate ending happen, but you also are like. The timber of this conversation lends me to feel like it's going in this direction, so I want to see that go through. Um, and I and I am a person who kind of root for the bad guys sometimes when it comes to, to some of these things. Anyway, I'm just like Shang Tsung is a dope character who didn't get any love really in the previous game or the previous voice part. actor, oh, best in the series. I, so I was blown away by the voice acting and the performance, the facial expressions in the background of scenes when you watch him just in his conniving manner. Oh my, I, I loved him so I much. Think, I think that was um, the gentleman who was in the initial movie, I think too. I think it is. It's Carrie somebody. Yes. Yes. Uh, it, I forgot his full name. Same. Um, but I picked that ending and in terms of where I wanted to go, I really want them to keep doubling down on this multiverse conversation. Like I think the multiverse thing adds so much stuff. Cause the weird part about it is too, like if you play, if you play the game, and you lose to Kronika. She has fatalities in the game that you don't see. Like, you don't see in them because most people beat her. But she has dope fatalities, too. Like, she literally, like, pulls you apart 
in time and reassembles you, pulls you apart, reassembles you, pulls you apart, wow. reassembles you. And I want to see her move set. Like, I want to see her be a character in the game that you get a chance to play because that is a part of the lineage of most Mortal Kombat games is that the bosses you wind up getting a chance to play. Shang Tsung was one, and then, uh, uh, why can I think of his name? Shao Kahn was one, and Chronica would be a fantastic one to be able to play because of all her time stuff. But I really want them to dig and double down on the multiverse conversation because, again, like, then you get to pull in all the characters that you want from the previous games and it makes sense. You don't have to continue to think about, oh, well, this doesn't fit in the lore right now because the lore says that character is dead. Nobody's dead when you have a multiverse conversation, right? So that opens up to so many different characters that I used to love from previous games being in. Uh, you know, they still haven't brought back the sector robots, even though some characters kind of have their move, have their moves. You know, there was folks like, uh, Striker that everyone has continued to talk about being in there, but we have a lot of characters right now that have guns in it. So that, I don't know if that works. And from a gameplay perspective, they, they just have to tighten up a couple of things. Like I think there, as a player who plays often with multiple characters, it still feels like there are moves that I do that should hit and they don't. Things clip through things and they shouldn't. Uh, but I think those are things that the community at at large have continuously talked about needing patches for and retweets and all that kind of stuff. And they have to balance other characters out too. Um, so yeah, go multiverse or, or go home is, is my answer for that. Awesome. Last question. The movie, there's a mm. movie coming. Yes. James Wan is producing it, not directing it, which always worries me because there's a big difference mm -hmm. and I'm a big James Wan fan, but are you hyped for this? Are you thinking this could be a fun new version of this universe they need it it needs it needs to happen i mean it needs to happen in a good way too like please don't botch this because i yeah. like the the previous mortal kombat movies were not that good at all they're, they're great and campy uh if you like campy movies which i do uh but it would be nice to see like it's interesting because i want them to just hit something that just feels really visceral like get all the really good fight choreography folks in there make it seem real cool you know, make it really flashy, use whatever CGI you need, but make it look good and, and blow it all out. Like make it balls to the wall kind of kind of stuff. And then I'll be really happy with that. I'll, I'll be really excited for them to rock with it and see how it goes. I agree. There's also a new animated series at WB Movies that is coming out. I think the first one is out now called Scorpion's Revenge. It was I good. I, I got it queued up to watch uh, later this weekend because it has really good reviews. So. It is very good. Kid, don't watch that with the kids. But it is very oh, good. good. I'm glad you told me that. <laughs> don't watch. Don't watch that with the kids at all. It is. It is gory. Uh, but it's but it's really good. It's really well made. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Khalif, thank you, man. Uh, we went longer than I usually do, and I apologize if I took too much of your time. But man, it's been awesome to talk to you about all this stuff. This has been great. So on the way out. Tell people where they can find you. Tell them where they can find Spawn on Me. And then if you want to give uh, any space to shouting out some of the favorite people of color who are awesome creators in the video game industry that you want to drive listeners toward, go for that too. First of all, thank you so much for having me today. It was uh, me blathering about all the things I love for, I'm sure, making you have a longer edit than necessary. But thank you. Uh, so much for having me. Um, you can find Spawn on Me on all podcast platforms. Uh, we're hitting on all those cylinders there on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Spawn on Me. YouTube at youtube.com slash Spawn on Me. Uh, our Patreon is patreon.com slash Spawn on Me as well if you want to help us grow there. 
Yeah, like, again, we're trying to do something different in the space, and we continue to to knock down some doors. This week, actually, uh, I should say, the week of the 23rd, I think, or whatever next week may be, uh, I'm giving up the reins for our show. I'm not going to host it, but we're going to have a fantastic uh, guest host in Janae Benet, uh, who's going to hold a conversation with all black women talking about their experiences in the fighting game community. So oh, nice. it lends directly into the conversations we're having here, um, which is going to be fantastic. Uh, so make sure you check that out. Um, and yeah, check out folks like Game Attack Radio, Paris Lily, who I love, and the rest of that crew. Continues to doing great work. The Optional Podcast, which is fantastic, uh, run by former Kotaku staffer Paul Tamayo. Lots of great conversations out there right now. Lots of really good content out there. Please make sure you're supporting uh, developers, content creators, folks of color in the space because we not only need your eyes and ears, but we need you to signal boost the work that we do uh, so that we can get more love in the spaces that we try to occupy and, and share our stories. So if you have time for that, please do so. And please use your voices for good out in this world because we need more folks doing that. So thank you again, fam, for having me. Absolutely. Well, listeners, if you like what you've heard here, uh, please subscribe, share us with your friends, follow us on Twitter and other social media at the games we love or me personally at Aaron E.L. White. I also stream on Twitch weekly, same handle, pretty much everywhere across the web. Love to have you follow there. Come talk about your favorite games or movies or anything else that is making you happy. Here on the show, we still have a few conversations left in this first season, and you're not going to want to miss out on those. If you are enjoying this and can leave a five-star review on your listening platform of choice, that will help us grow. And like Khalif said, signal boost to get more ears onto the show. I think that these are some great conversations, and people, once they hear them, will really enjoy them and want to come back for more. Khalif, thank you again so much for coming on, for talking to me, sharing your passion with games, and for uh, just supporting people of color in this industry and in those voices. It's so critical that we have uh, more of. It's been awesome, and thank you everyone for listening because this podcast is for you. We'll be back next week, but until then, get out there and fall in love with a game.